Welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Whiskey Society at Seven Grand, we had Philip Dormant from Treaty Oak in Dripping Springs, Texas. Craft distilled whiskey. You want to know, don't you? We tried the red-handed bourbon, the 10-year-old rye, what? Ghost Hill bourbon, their flagship distillate. Uh, then we had what was with the antique gin? Yeah, we tried it. Why did you do that? My goodness, young man. All right, and then we got into uh, well, a couple distillery-only samples. To find out, you'll have to listen to the podcast. Always remember to enjoy this podcast responsibly. That means try new things. Don't be so set in your ways. The world is a mighty and interesting place if you give up your preconceived notions and enjoy. Cheers to you. Oh, sorry, Matt. Oh, 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 oh. It's a very painful experience for people with sensitive ears. I apologize. It's the slow clap. I'm sorry, man. You had a nice suction. Like, I've it, got, really, it really popped. That's right. It's to wake up those people who might be slumbering next to you. We want to invigorate them. It's Monday. Welcome to the Whiskey Society, everyone. How's everybody doing? Jeez, come on, guys. Whoa, wow. We don't have to pour free whiskey. It's fine. I'll just close it down. It's all right. No, I'm kidding. What's going on, man? Oh, I don't get out of the distillery very often, so uh, this, is, this is a treat. They let me out. So, <laughs> so you go teach a class in California, and I was not going to say no. Well, we are uh, really pleased to have you in the house tonight. If you guys are not familiar with this brand, prepare to be enlightened. We've got uh, a great craft distillery from Texas in the house, Treaty Oak, and the head of distilling, Mr. Philip Dormont. Did I say that right? Yep. A little, a little too French. I've been in Texas a long time. So I like say, French. We just say Dormont, but Dormont. he makes All me right. sound cooler. <laughs> well, look, you, you got lots of histories in Austin. Tons, right? Say that again? <laughs> <laughs> it's my thick California accent getting in the way. I understand. I understand. Um, we mumble out here on purpose. Uh, they call people call me Fulp because I always answer the phone. Hello, this is Fulp. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm a mumbler with you. <laughs> Philip Dorman from Treaty Oak. Now uh, we've got a seven grand out in Austin, and you guys have come and done Whiskey Society out there, right? Like yeah, I did the I did the same thing there about a year ago. Uh, I didn't have somebody curating like yourself. So. You didn't have Tom? Tom? Tom didn't curate. He was, he was hanging out. He, but he was hanging out? I, I, I was oh, sitting there talking. Oh, so fired. Oh, my God. No, I'm I kidding. I was sitting there talking for an hour. So I'm, I'm glad to have somebody helping me out. I'm, I'm, I'm here to support. We're, we consider ourselves uh, champions of the craft distilling movement in America. We've helped a lot of brands launch, at least in Southern California, right where you're standing now. So you're in good hands. We're all here because we love whiskey and we want to hear the story of the brand. Now, I know a little bit from helping to open the bar in Austin about uh, what the Treaty Oak is. Does anybody, anybody know what Treaty Oak is? What the Treaty Oak is? Wow! It's a, it's a really important piece of American history right there. It's true. It's the oak where they signed the treaty. I don't, know, wow, I don't know about the treaty. Come on. <laughs> it's when, oh, geez, okay. It was the guy who founded Austin, who so, Austin is named for. Stephen F. Austin. So it was originally the Council Oaks, and it was a grove of six or seven huge oak trees, and that was where all the Native American tribes would meet to go over agreements on land disputes and everything. And then once Stephen F. Austin uh, moved there, 
there was a lot of uh, tre treaties and agreements done uh, with the Tonkawa tribe. So it's the only the Treaty Oak is one of the Council Oaks, and it's the only one still standing. This uh, this guy actually tried to poison it in the 80s, um, like any natural guy that's in love does. Uh, they poison they poison the tree to harness its energy, and what? Uh, that's it's true. This guy's uh, some crazy hippie. And no, he like he had the right techniques and like got this like I don't remember what the particular chemical was, but like injected it. It was like because he was going to usurp the energy of the treaty oak to to pr propose to his girlfriend. So what? Dude, I'm going to find this guy. What the hell? So no, but the the council oak. Those are really important. That's oh, yeah, where the treaties would be made originally between the tribes. And so there's yeah. like there's and a that's lot like of history. And it was at that point it's a it was 500 already, year old oak yeah, tree. There's already a park at that point. But uh, anyways, everybody thought I was going to die. Austin went up in arms. And actually, ironically, Ross Perot of Dallas was the one that uh, he, he wrote a blank check, and that's what saved the tree. They pretty much excavated the whole root system uh, to, to allow for it to live, and now it's just like one, the trunk and then one branch. It's like, it's definitely not what it used to be, but... Uh, but it's still alive. It's still alive. Wow. So, All right, so Treaty Oak. Somehow. And you guys are just starting. You're like the fledgling branches of... Of Treaty Oak, right? That's what I like to think. Right on. Um, now, you guys have been uh, making whiskey since 2006? Um, not actually whiskey. So we're the fourth distillery to open up in the state of Texas. Oh, that's right. When you guys started, there was only four distilleries in Texas, which Correct. is crazy. But we were actually the first ones to actually distill from scratch um, and ferment. So before that, it was Tito's. And a couple other companies that were simply just bringing in products. So we were actually the first ones to ferment and distill. And that product that was actually rum. So we were in a tiny little uh, industrial warehouse. Thank you, Stephanie. And we had a five. We literally had a five-gallon still. And we chose rum for one. We didn't need the equipment required for whiskey, like the cooker and all the fermenters, and a, a larger still that can handle on-grain distillation. Where for us. Rum, there's tons of sugar cane in South Texas. We wanted to make a 100% Texas product and there's no Texas rums on the market. So we felt like rum was the best path forward. So we, uh, we produced rum up until about two years ago. We still have about 100 barrels sitting back that are- I want to come taste some of that rum. That's now, it's, Yeah, is it, it's so, cane, so it's, it's agricole style. You're so, making it out of cane juice? No, it's molasses. You're molasses. It, it was okay. all molasses. You're making your own molasses? Um, so, Actually, all the sugar cane grown in Texas is uh, through a co-op, um, and so all of it goes there, and we just purchase the molasses from there. Um, so now we have, some of our oldest barrels are in the seven to eight year range. So Of rum. Of rum. So some, wow. of, the, some of the oldest products that we have is, is rum, and we, we occasionally will leak a little bit, and it might eventually be in our, uh, our future to sell it uh, as a Treaty Oak product, but... We really wanted to consolidate our brands. Uh, I might be getting ahead of you, but uh, we we rebranded everything. Um, I guess that was about a year and a half ago or so. So all new packaging, new bottles, new logo, and we decided to consolidate our products to just gin and whiskey because that's where we feel like we could have the most innovation. Well, cool. So when did you start making whiskey? So we started the very first whiskey we made 
Those were rough. Those were rough days. So we 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 well, wanted. have a five gallon still. I, so, I bet there's a lot of rough days. So at that point, we had four fifty gallon stills. Okay. But they were. Those are still really small. To put very, it in perspective, like a fifty gallon still would probably take you about five days of running it every day to get enough to make a barrel. Yeah, it was about right? five. So like in a, we were doing about five gallons. Five gallons per still a day. So ten days so, to fill a barrel. Yeah. So ten days. Those are eight-hour days, guys, and that's not including fermentation and all that, yeah, all of we, that. So. We, we double shifted. So we we you were spot on with the five, but you didn't know it because we we did we did sixteen-hour shifts two per day. But so at that point, we still our our stills actually used heating elements just like in your hot water heater. So we couldn't do on grain. So pretty much all. Bourbon, as I'm sure y'all know, is uh, fermented on grain and distilled on grain. Um, but we didn't have that capability because it would burn and it would taste like burnt popcorn. And no matter what you do, you cannot get that flavor out. I promise you. Meaning that the elements, the heating elements, the heating were elements. actually in Correct. in the big Correct. There's, in the in the still with the buffering. grains. There's nothing buffering it. So it works great for rum. It, it works any great for anything that doesn't have solids. So I've made brandy on it. Uh, we produce all of our gin on there. We still produce gin on those same stills, but uh, so we worked around it. We there's a brewery that was our our neighbor called Adelberts, and we would go over there. They didn't know how to water uh, zero grains either, and there was a lot of uh, like 17, 18 hour days uh, trying to figure out how to, how the hell to make it to make distillers beer to make distillers beer, but water it so separate the grain from the liquid. And then we bring it over to our facility, uh, ferment it, and then distill it off. So those uh, those barrels, we didn't get very many of them, but they they turned out actually really good. We, I, I still hold a couple of those bottles. Um, it drinks so different. I, I wish I could have brought a bottle. They were like much more mellow um, and super soft and viscous. Uh, it was fascinating to see. I don't know if that had to do with the fact that we were lottering, but I don't want to ever lotter again and don't have the means to. So. So, okay, so a lot of these folks, when you say lauder, they have no idea what you're talking about at all. Can you break it down for a layman? What does what yeah, lautering yeah. mean? So lautering is a brewing term for when you separate the grain from, like, the liquid. So when you're, when you're cooking beer, and uh, so the beer you need to separate from the grain to go in the fermenter. So uh, it creates this kind of filtering bed, and the liquid just filters through it, um, and all beer is done that way but not very much whiskey is done that way, uh, except for like scotch and Irish whiskey. They, they go through pretty much the exact same process as beer, except for hops, obviously. But so they lauder. Yeah, and, and Japanese whiskey, which is known for a very light yep. style, yep. They, what they put into the still is very clear, almost like white wine, it's very yep. delicate. Okay, so this first whiskey. Now you guys, th that was all ancient history. In 2016, you moved out to Dripping Springs and expanded your facility massively, right? Yep. So a law passed that allowed distilleries to sell bottles. Um, and it was a huge catalyst for Texas distilleries. Uh, we've had so many crop ups since then. But that happened, I guess, about four years ago or so. And so immediately when that law was in the process of passing, we bought these 28 acres and we sold uh, we, we got rid of our northern facility and built our own distillery. It's an old existing ranch that is rather historical. It was a, a trading area and a camping area for going into Austin from 
the at that point it was uh it was the west it was the unsettled area but uh because of that we decided it was our time to do whiskey heavy um we were actually going to be a brewery as well we we bought a 30 barrel system we were selling beer and they decided whiskey was really our passion so as of last year we we got it all set up in january we uh we put our column still in place, so instead of just using our 500-gallon pot still, um, so it's like a hybrid-style pot still, mm -hmm. which means that it's still batch distillation, so you ferment your mash on grain, you put it in your fi the 500-gallon still, and you distill it all off, but I'm, I'm able to control the proof coming off the, off the still, um, so I target like 140 proof coming off the still, where a traditional pot still, you don't have that flexibility. You, you distill it off, you strip all the alcohol, and then you do a second run or a third run and to purify it and clarify it. So that 500 gallon vintner still is really nice to start producing whiskey. We did, for two years, we were making about two barrels per day on it. Um, but as of January of this last year, we set up our column still. So now we can produce way more and also a more consistent product. So the way column still works, so instead of that pot still where you pump in, you distill, and then you've got to pump it out and you start again. Column stills, they run continuously as long as you have mash to feed it. So um, the way it works, it just gets piped in to the top of the column still, and just will, that grain will cascade down and we inject steam right in the bottom. And it strips all the alcohol off on that, that first run. And then it'll go into a, we call it a doubler. So it's basically like a little baby pot still and that clarifies it, rectifies it. Um, it doubles the proof, essentially, thus calling it a doubler. Exactly, um, and it also, it's copper, so uh, sulfites are a very common, inevitable part of fermentation as a byproduct, and sulfur notes are not pleasant when you're drinking. Unless uh, you like rotten eggs. Unless you like rotten eggs. But uh, I was trying to think of a joke on that. I, I, I got quick, your bro I got your back, man. Yeah. You don't have to think of the jokes. I already got like a, I write them down yeah. on the side of my hand here. All right, y'all probably all know. But uh, so, where was I going with that? I I see the joke. Oh, didn't, yeah. Okay, you were talking about the oh, yeah. distillation. So, so copper distillation. Copper has a chemical reaction with sulfites and and uh, allows it to stay in the in the still, so you it doesn't pass over through distillation. So that's. That's why so many traditional stills were, were copper, as well as they just have really good thermodynamics, so they, they hold their heat really well. Um, but the beautiful thing about column stills, which almost all Kentucky distilleries, most bourbon you drink, is going to be in a column still because it produces a more, uh, more consistent product. Um, and you can run it continuously. You can run it, so it's it, shareholders great. love that. Yep, it's great for volume, but it's also great for just consistent quality, which which we really like having both because the pot still, every day it's a little bit different. It, it's a much heavier uh, white dog, so the unaged whiskey, a lot more congeners, so what we think of as the flavors that define the bourbon are gonna be a little bit heavier, not gonna be quite as light, but uh, for the bulk of our product, we want the same juice coming out of that still every single day, so instead of, instead of the, the white dog being inconsistent, it's what happens in the barrels that really sh shine and allow for those single barrels that we were really stoked about, or just be able to have a little bit different qualities to, to blend into our final ghost hill. So is this, 
So for those bourbon fans out there, there's basically, as Bernie Lebers always likes to say, there's three basic mash bills usually used in bourbon. You've got your traditional mash bill, which is a low rye content, majority being corn, of course, mm -hmm. a little bit of malted barley in there for its enzyme action. And then there's high rye bourbons, which most of the bourbons in Kentucky are like rye bourbons or, or high rye bourbons. And then there's more rare style, which is weeded bourbons. You guys, I, I was looking on your little website there, and you guys have some weeded bourbon action happening. Am I wrong? Yep. So our flagship, our Ghost Hill whiskey, um, which is not this, is a heavily weeded bourbon. It's a 57% corn, 32% wheat, and 11% uh, malt. Wow. So we just feel like wheat has just a great, a lot of great stone fruit qualities, but it also has a really good mouthfeel. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get yeah, there. What's yeah, this yeah. first one? What's so, this first one? So this is the red. You asked me the question. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I love weeded bourbons. But, but uh, I wanted to get into this one first. I, the mash bill on this one, is it's a, a high rye or a, a traditional mash bill? So it would fall into a relatively high, high rye. Um, it's... I know there's a number on there. It's an average because it's actually a blend of a, a couple different barrel or a couple different products. So we call it red-handed bourbon because, like the name says, we got caught red-handed stealing it. That's a uh, our fun way of saying that. Like we're not afraid that we source this whiskey. At the time we uh, produced this, it was 2013. So we were still in North Austin. Didn't have the facility to make a lot of products, and uh, we knew we were going to become a bourbon distillery. So we decided to start relationships with uh, barrel brokers and distilleries so we can get unique barrels from them. So we think of it as our ability to be a taste, like not only are we producers, but we're also, we're fans of bourbon and we love trying new stuff. So it's really fun. We're always getting samples in and like, oh yeah, that, that's really good juice. Let's pull that in. So this product's always going to be changing a little bit, but this one that y'all have is going to be um, from OZ Tyler, which is a distillery in Owensboro, Kentucky. Um, that's a pretty traditional uh, lower rye mash bill. And then the, the other one is Davis Valley from Virginia. And it's actually a pot, it's actually a pot still um, bourbon that's uh, pretty high on the rye, but also heavy on the, the malt as well. So you might be able to taste a little more malt than you typically do in a lot of bourbons. Um, and I attribute that to the, this Davis Valley juice. And, and there's no age statement on here, but how, what's the average age of the whiskeys so, that are blended here? This would be averaging about a three-year-old. So the OZ was, the, oh, sorry, the OZ was two and the Davis Valley was four. Great. So you guys stick your nose in this glass, breathing gently through your mouth. What food words come to mind as you're smelling this Treaty Oak red-handed bourbon? Is this called the Dripping Springs or no? So, no. Oh, yeah, okay, so this okay. Is, this is red. This is red-handed. Red-handed bourbon. Red bourbon. All right, I, I got it right. What do you guys smell there? Grapeskins. Grapeskins, almost like brandy, right? Coconut. Coconut. Nice. I get. I always get some butter, like buttered popcorn. Yeah, buttered popcorn or buttered caramel. Mm -hmm. I get popcorn. a lot of caramel too. That's nice. So, so now tap it over your tongue. How does that experience change? Oh, it's really fruity. Mm -hmm. Really, really fruity. Is that because of that pot still distillate that you're mixing in there? Yeah, just uh, malt. Typically, like that high malt just gets so many of those just big stone fruit notes. Wow. Really, really good. So, uh, Paula, do you know how much is this going to be at our local liquor store? 
Your local liquor store, that should be $39.99. Really? Beautiful Pretty stuff. Pretty reasonable, yeah? Mm -hmm. mm, definitely. Yeah, it's got a great citrusy, like really strong citrus mm -hmm. finish on it. Mm -hmm. Now, you guys make your gin, and I know you guys source a lot of your citrus from all, like, Texas orchards. Are you sure you didn't put some gin in here? Uh, well, we used to drink on the job. We don't anymore, so I don't think I don't, I don't think we made that mistake. We'll, we'll, we'll get to the story of why may, the antique. You may have accidentally put some gin in uh, here, too. The antique. We'll, we'll talk about the antique because that, that started out as a mistake. We'll, we'll get to that later, though. Well, Stephanie's coming around with the second mark right now from Tree Tea Oak. What is the second one, Stephanie? Uh, this one's going to be the rye. The red okay. rye. Yep. So the rye whiskey. So you, you referred to the Ghost Hill as being your kind of flagship. Mm. In what order did you create these different expressions? Um, so the red-handed bourbon was the first, which I'll taste it. But with that said, how, how we do, we, we, buy, we purchase the, the lot that we want. And it can be varying uh, volumes depending on just how much is available. Thank you. You can take that. Um, but so this this one is the the two the Kentucky and Virginia. But we've had numerous iterations, and we like to keep it similar in profile. But there's it's always going to be changing a little bit. Um, we're actually going to drop the line entirely uh, when once we started making our own product. But it just it gained so much traction and it became such a fun project for us and it was doing really well in the market that we decided we we're just gonna keep it and just fit in the ghost hill into that portfolio. So the rye, what's in your hand right now, we, I guess we purchased it a little over a year ago. It's, uh, it's from the Shinley Distillery in Canada, which is a, a, quite a historic distillery that has been defunct for, I think it's been about five years or so. And Wow, so they're just sitting on a bunch of barrels. So, they sold it to a grain bro or a, a barrel broker, and then we purchased it through them. So interesting! Wow. So we tasted. We wanted a rye, and we tasted through a whole bunch, and we liked how this one is uh, is unique in the fact that it's eleven. It's at this point, it's eleven years old. It's aged for a year in Texas, which has played a big role in its uh, its sensory quality. But it's really low on the on the rye front. It's 53% rye, 38% corn, and 8% barley. So, because of that, it, it drinks somewhat like a uh, somewhat like a bourbon, but it's done in a, uh, a used barrel. So they like their used barrels in Canada. So that's why, if you look at it, it's just so much lighter yeah, than, than the rest of the products. Where, which is funny because it's it's 11 years. It's well older than any of our other products, but just that used barrel isn't as aggressive, it doesn't add as much of the wood and the tannins and the lactones, and you just get totally different uh, qualities to it. Right on, well, stick your nose in this glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. What are you guys getting off of this rye whiskey from Treaty Oak? Share your experience, no wrong answers. It is a little bit hot, it's, a, it's 100 proof opposed to 95 proof of the last one we tasted. Yeah, I'm also getting there's a little bit of minerality in here too. I get like green apple, I get that um, honeysuckle note that I think Stephanie's getting at. The honeysuckle comes through very clearly. But there's also, yeah, raisin, dates. I'm, I'm getting almost like clay though too, something like earthy in there get, as well. I get green, green tobacco is often a quality. Green, like, kind green of like, tobacco? Like, un, like, like not fully mature and, and uh, an aged tobacco. Like if you pull tobacco right out of the field. Wow, that is beautiful smelling for sure. So now tap it over your tongue. How does that experience change, you guys? Sometimes the nose will tell you one thing, 
Your tongue will speak differently. Wow, that's awesome. The mouth feels great on there. Yep. Yeah, my favorite. I, I discovered that I never liked uh, New York Sours all that much until I did a New York Sour with this, and it just plays, the delicateness plays so well with, with wine. And yeah, and a little splash sour. of wine in your whiskey sour. Yeah. That makes a New York Sour. I'm almost, I'm getting like a tangerine thing and coconut, mm -hmm. like really brilliant. It is super fruity. It's got a lot going on. Yeah, yeah. really brilliant. So Paula, how much is that one in my local liquor store? This one uh, is the most expensive in the portfolio, but still super reasonable compared to uh, the competitive set, $64.99. Wow. But it's an 11-year-old rye. There's no age statement. 10-year-old rye. Wow, okay. So you guys are distilling your own, but you're also right now private labeling some. Mm -hmm. Are those streams going to be consistent do you have contracts that are going to enable you to keep this going on for many years or what's yeah we're, i mean we just continue like, like i said we're always we're always uh in communication with brokers and other distilleries um because a lot of times these distilleries will have a like a barrel lot that is not to their profile what they like to blend and so they're able, they're able to sell it. it doesn't mean it's bad whiskey sometimes it means it's really unique special whiskey but it's just not part of their blending program, so a lot of those barrels get sold. So we're always going in and out of finding the ones that really speak to us. And uh, so yeah, once this rye's gone, we still we bought about a hundred barrels, I'd say. So we, we still have a little bit left, but we're always we're always looking for the new thing. We have uh, some twelve-year-old Dickel that's uh, that's really good. That uh, we ha we've done a few releases just on the property. But that's about it. Uh, but we'll we'll release that soon. So you're going to continue to have a line with some kind of limited edition releases involved. It sounds like, yeah. All right. Thank you, Stephanie. All right. So Stephanie just came around with the third mark. What is this one, Steph? Uh, the Ghost Hill Texas Bourbon. Ghost Hill Texas Bourbon. So your flagship. How did this mark come about? And is this your own distillate now? Yep. So we were talking something that is 100% Texas. We do everything, uh, all the grain besides the malt comes from Texas because barley does not, uh, does not do well in our hot climate. But uh, everything else is from Texas, done in Texas. Um, we put a whole lot of emphasis on the grains that we use. Uh, there is a this guy James Brown. I know he's changed his he's changed his path a little bit. He's gone into milling grain, uh, but uh, James Brown's dead, bro. We got him. Man. Oh, okay, he's, all, he's, right. He, all right. Godfather of soul. He's changed all his right. looks. He's changed his looks a little bit, but uh, rest in peace. Okay, but this is the Godfather of whiskey. Yeah. Okay. All right. I call him the grandfather of God, but uh, so. His big thing is he provides milled grains for bakeries and restaurants and uh, like a lot of like tortillas. Um, but his thing is heirloom grains. He he loves finding these these dead grains that have kind of been lost to time and getting a seed stock, working with farmers to grow them. And now he has some of the largest seed stocks of heirloom grain um, in the country. So. We're always playing with new heirloom grains, but with this one, uh, it's a yellow number one corn, uh, which is grown up in the Texas Panhandle because that's the best environment for growing corn. Um, but that's not the kind of corn they use out in Kentucky. That's no. a different varietal, right? So 
there's lots of different varieties that are grown in Kentucky, and like a lot of it is uh, is kind of like like big ag, um, and there's not much control over uh, the quality and the consistency. And a lot of people in Kentucky don't think that the variety of corn makes a big difference, which uh, we've done a lot of work finding this yellow number one. So it's it's cleaner, they're bigger kernels. It's not used for feed. It's like it's food grade corn, um, and the biggest thing is that we're the farmer is planting the same seed stock every single year. So because of that, back to that consistency thing that we're really hammering home, is that we don't need to worry about what variety of corn it is. It's the same every single year. Obviously, from one year to another, uh, you will see some difference. But my personal opinion is it's small enough of a difference that once it goes into a barrel, goes through distillation, I don't think you're going to notice a, a huge difference, which I, I think that's not the case with a lot of your heirloom grains. So they, they retain a lot of their character, which is the whole purpose of whiskey. The reason whiskey is whiskey is because you want to retain the character of the base agricultural product that it's made from. If you didn't, then you drink vodka. The whole point of whiskey is that yeah. you're, you know what you're drinking. You should know what it's made of by the taste. The, the integrity of the grain is a big part of it for sure. So Ghost Hill, Texas bourbon here. What's the proof on this? So this is also a 95 proof. Um, so just like the red-handed, um, like I said, that heavily weeded quality. But you're gonna drink it, and it doesn't drink like a lot of your weeded bourbons that you know, your your Willets and your Larcenies. And that's just because the Texas climate is so different that our barrels mature way different. Um, we yeah, get, they they basically said like Texas style of distillation and, and aging is it's its own thing because the temperature range is so much and humidity and then dryness as well, right? It, it for like sure. Everything varies so much. We're Central Texas, we're quite a bit drier than Kentucky, but like he was talking about, what makes maturation happen is the influx of temperature. So if it's really cold at night and a cold front comes in and then the next day it goes up to 85, 90 degrees, that difference in temperature is great because the the juice will expand and contract. So if it's really cold, it's going to be inside the barrel. And then once it heats up, the liquid will expand. It'll push into the, the porous oak. And then once it gets cold again, it'll go right back into the barrel. So that cycle is what allows your, your lactones and your vanillins and your caramelized wood notes and just the filtration that happens because the barrels are charred and just like your Brita filter at home, it's basically activated charcoal. So it's just being filtered in and out of this charcoal and that's why bourbon is so mellow. So what do you guys, stick your, stick your nose in that glass, what are you guys getting off of this Ghost Hill bourbon whiskey from the wonderful Treaty Oak Distillery in Texas? Share your opinions, there's no wrong answers. Sawdust. Sawdust. Smoke? Okay, what else? What did you say back there? Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm, I can see that. It's very, it's very earthy. What else? Maple. Maple. I get. I um, I I'd say the maple is going to come from a chemical reaction with the wood and acids that are uh, just prevalent from uh, fermentation. I definitely get that sawdusty kind of light wood note, but also it's like some dark fruit character, like a dark cherry thing yeah. happening in there. So that's even on the even on the white dark dog, chocolate. Even on the white dog, that was a big 
big notes that we we've gotten all along the the way where those just like dark cherry qualities and right on. It, they do for sure carry on so now tap it over your tongue what else happens what else wow the corniness really really comes across really full body corn mm -hmm. delicious I get I get a lot of like cinnamon and like allspice qualities. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's that's indicative of Texas maturation. Wow! And there's no age to it. What's the average uh, age of the whiskeys in this in this bottle here? So this is about this is about a two year old bourbon. Uh, that age statement is going to continue to grow as we uh, we get older and have the ability to ho hold more barrels back. Um, Cause this is this is something where we've been making bourbon for quite a while ourselves, but on the column still and learning how it ages in our rick house. Every every day we're we're getting better and better at making bourbon. Um, and like the way the way I look at it, there's no point to strive to strive for and like find the, the perfect bourbon because for one it's subjective to people, but also if you make the if you made the perfect bourbon, you're then you're going to be stuck just making that, and we're we're always trying new things and uh i'm i'm pretty sure i'm gonna be retiring at treaty oak and we'll learn a lot more by then well cheers to that stephanie's coming around with our fourth mark now what's this one steph it's not whiskey i'll tell you that it's not whiskey oh my goodness sacrilege uh, in the whiskey gonna, society yeah, we're, we're gonna shock we're gonna shock the palate here uh oh don't tell me it smells botanical it is gin it's an aged gin. So tell us the whole, how did this experiment come about? Yeah, so the, the distiller did it. He didn't love the story, but uh, a lo long time ago, I guess it was probably about 2010, one of our employees came in quite hungover for the early shift and didn't want to smell or any, have anything to do with the spirit that was in the, the container that was being filled at, in the barrels. So. Instead of putting the rum in the barrel like he was supposed to do, he he put a, a whole tote of gin in a, in a barrel, and we we're like, well, it's already in there. The barrel's ruined. Might as well let it sit in there. So, year in, we we're like, this is disgusting. It's just like all wood. And like the lavender just does not play well with it. And then, come year and a half, we forgot about it and tasted like that's turning interesting. And then we just found the two-year mark. It just, uh, it really opens up and just like the herbaceousness is uh, different than anything we've ever tried. So your crazy uh, botanical distillate, your, your gin that you guys have been making for yeah. 13 years now? or uh, Not quite that long. We started in 2011. Okay. It smells like Arnica. Like Arnica? Oh, wow. It's extremely, extremely perfumey. It's a bouquet for sure. I get that kaffir lime. The lime from the gin comes through really strong. So for there's me. grapefruit and there's grapefruit and lemon in this. There's no lime. So kaffir lime is actually in one of our other gins. Ah, okay. But uh, it's amazing because just like it mutes all the bright. Because our water number nine is a very bright gin, very floral, and it loses it loses so much of that to these. Once again, you, you're tasting those allspice and the, those cinnamon notes. It's, it's, uh, it's got a lot of these Christmas-style uh, spices in it. And, and what are you calling this expression again? So we call it Waterloo Antique. It's Waterloo a, Antique. So another little history. Before Austin was named Austin, it was named Waterloo. Whoa, Texas history here in Cali. Nobody cares. Uh, All right, I tried.
So it was, te- it was technically a one little section of Austin, but it's, every, everybody knows it as like what Austin became. But it's actually, it was one section of it. Oh, okay. It's, it was the, the Waterloo neighborhood. Exactly. Uh, okay. Not, so stick your nose in that glass. Breathe in gently through your mouth. What are you guys getting off of this Waterloo aged gin from Treaty Oak in Texas? Yeah. Almost like a lemon cowbell tea. Mm-hmm. I get that chamomile for yeah. sure. Not only, not only are we really pushing the questions of what maturation does in Texas with whiskey and bourbon and rum, but this is always a great testament to like a totally different product that people aren't familiar with what happens in maturation. Just I love tasting people on the Waterloo number nine and then moving to this product just so people understand that you get totally different qualities and changes in in the your your sensory analysis of a product. Yeah, the nose and the palate are completely different. Yeah, yeah. Totally, yeah. Different. totally different. Really, really, really wild. Sure. You know, like when I'm when I'm nosing it, I'm getting like that kind of like uh, when my mom used to rub bapuru on my chest, like you know, <laughs> as a kid, you know. But yeah. when, when I taste it, it's just so delicate and very sweet and easy to drink. Yeah. Yeah, it's completely conflicting. So it's it's uh, it's a two year old. It's it's a uh, it's the oldest gin I've I've ever known on the market. I've I've looked pretty heavy and I've never found a gin so old, but also with that color, we use new charred white oak barrels. So because yeah. the bourbon lovers that we are, we wanted to produce a gin for whiskey drinkers or something that uh, that could hold up in cocktails. That, so like, uh, this is great for like an old fashioned or like a Manhattan or a julep. It's, it's a really fun botanical spin on those cocktails um, as well as like, Negronis. I drink Negronis with this all the time, and it's that makes sense. It's, it's one of my favorite cocktails. For sure. Well, interesting. But now let's get back to drinking whiskey, please. Um, after I'm that, sorry, after I'm that just... short interruption. Right. So Stephanie's coming around with our fifth mark. We're going deep tonight. I hope you guys are ready for this. Uh, Stephanie, what's this fifth mark? Bloody. What does that say? Bloody butcher. My, the bloody hand, my, handwriting, my handwriting peaked in about second grade, so I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. The bloody butcher. So, what's the story? This sounds gruesome. So, this was uh, this was the first iteration of our heirloom grain series, uh, working with James Brown. Um, bloody butcher is a it's a red corn. That's so, right. what does that mean? We just tried a, another that it's a, bloody that it's butcher. That's a red corn. So it's literally it's literally red. So it's not yellow. It's it's red. So it, it was. It was a hoot mashing that in. So in the process of, uh, of mashing and fermenting it, instead of having this yellow mash that we or were used to, it was actually like pink. It was like we're, we were fermenting like Pepno-Bismol. Heirloom grains don't have near, so the starch comes from the endosperm and you don't get near as much. Uh, so our yields weren't as, as great because it didn't have as much starch but it has a lot more flavor because it hasn't been bred specifically for starch content. So we didn't get as much bourbon out of it, but we, our goal was to understand if there are differences in heirloom grains because it's becoming a really popular thing of like discovering these new heirloom grains. And we, we try, every, every year we do about four, four heirloom grains, put it back, and it's uh, a patience waiting game from there and we taste it along the way but it's really not until year and a half two years out that we start to understand the big differences and whether or not they're 
it's worth pursuing that grain. Um, the Bloody Butcher, you, you can tell, I, I, I feel pretty strongly. This is a three-year-old and it drinks very differently. So the first one we had was a two and this one's a year older? So this is a three-year-old. It is a different mash bill though. Um, we really want to showcase the grain. So it's 90% corn, 10% malt. Wow. So there's, there's, wow. There's, totally there's, different there's no, variety. There's no meat in this. So, oh yeah, I didn't tell, I didn't tell y'all. This is, I know y'all like cast strain stuff probably. So uh, this is sitting at about uh, 130 proof. We put it in at 120, we put it in at 125 because that's a requirement. And we gained that much uh, ABV through maturation just because in Texas, our, we lose so much so you, you can't put bourbon back uh, anything above 125 proof. So I put it in at that high proof, but just because of humidity and heat, a lot of the water evaporated out, and what was left was a higher, higher proof product. Wow, it tastes so, like a Rolo. It's like milk chocolate and caramel for miles, a little red yep. brew character in there, like cherries and raspberries that's pretty amazing but uh but this is just a little treat that you brought for us we, this yeah, is not yeah. available out on I, the market i was doing i was doing a lot of work on when i on thursday before i came here just to uh i was pulling a lot of samples just certain like a routine i take to to understand where they're at and i put my notes down and i was like ah this is i'm already here this is perfect i'm just gonna I'm just gonna put this in a bottle and take it for you guys. Wow! So thank you very much. Yeah, right. Nice little treat. That's a, you guys are the only people in the world to drink this whiskey. It's Come true. on! Not, this is not even a thing. This is like a little sneaky treat for everybody who's in attendance tonight. It's oh. like if a raspberry cheesecake and a chocolate like Thin Mint had a baby. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll we'll eventually release it. Uh, probably sometime soon because we're 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 pretty happy with where it's at. Um, so we'll probably, honestly, don't get your hopes up. You gotta, you're gonna have to come to the ranch for this. I, I don't think, I don't think this is gonna, I don't think this is gonna get to California. Uh, we just don't have enough of it. So we'd sell it all pretty quickly in Texas. Um, so but, speaking of the ranch, you guys, I know as a newer distillery, you guys have moved out to Dripping Springs in 2016. Now you all have an emphasis on sustainability as well. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, um, we we hired this girl Jamie Beal to come in as our uh, sustainability director. So um, we we compost everything. Uh, we're in the process of we're in the, we're in the process of getting rainwater, and we'll be using the rainwater for uh, for proofing. Um, a lot of a lot of those projects take a lot of money, and there are like in the works. So I, I like to mostly speak to what, what we're doing. So the, the composting, the, the rainwater that's coming up soon, and also sourcing locally is a big part of that. Uh, if we're getting grain from out of state, then that, that involves a truck driving all that way specifically for us. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is just trying to source as much stuff locally as possible, just so the freight to get to us uh, isn't as uh, as large of an impact definitely something that everyone in the spirits business needs to be more concerned with so stephanie's coming around with our sixth mark make it easy on her give her an empty glass she shouldn't have to guess so when she comes up present her with an empty glass that you want her to pour into what's this sixth mark here so this is this is another really random one that i i just pulled on thursday uh we've never we've never released this one once um, so, and this is, 
this is a little this is a little off off the mark for our, our typical uh, whiskey because this is this is actually going to be a single malt. Wow. So so Texas single malt from Treaty Oak, but you're not getting the barley because uh, you said it's it's really hard to grow barley down in Texas. Yeah. Where are you sourcing your barley? So this actually this fits into a brand where it's a we work with breweries. Um, we were we started doing it ourselves as our brewery and distilling our blondes and our IPAs um, just like you do a single malt. This one we uh, we got from a company called Real Ale. It's one of the biggest breweries in the state, and it is a porter. So there's lots of chocolate malts in there and roasted malts. Um, this is this is a fun like dessert whiskey because just it's a coffee bomb for me. You just get so much coffee and so much of just the like cacao notes and also also at 130 proof oh thank you uh actually sorry this one's 125 i apologize uh yeah, yeah. much yeah I got it. i'm i'm going to eat i'm going easy on y'all so the so, sample what does it say on the little piece of tape there so it, when when visiting distilleries or having a master distillers in the house Always go for the bottles that have a piece of tape on them yeah. and the yeah. labels in Sharpie. Always yeah. drink that's, those. That's, Always go for that. The stuff with the printed labels, not nearly no, as interesting. I never, but I, I never go anywhere without a Sharpie. I'm so always, this is red ale. What, 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 is, what are you calling it there? Uh, what's that? You have to read it to us. Yeah, so the brewery, the brewery is real ale and it's a porter whiskey. We, we, have, we have two barrels. I'm just trying to get y'all to come to Texas. Wow, really, really rich, really rich stuff. Yeah, what are you guys getting on the nose as you smell this unique porter-based whiskey? Chocolate malt? What, what did you say, Steph? Like those Whoppers candies? Oh, yeah. Big time. Oh, and there's some mintiness and some floral notes in there, too, like mint and raspberry. So we, yeah, we found, we through distilling all types of different beer, with hops, so it's like the exact beer that they would sell that we got. But we found that anything with heavy hops, hops don't translate very well into whiskey. It, it gives this kind of like off-putting bitter quality where porters and stouts and like blondes and lagers do a lot better because they're not gonna have as much of that hop profile to it. Yeah. Whoa, this is really amazing. What so. a treat. So we, yeah, like I said, we have two barrels of this. We probably have about, in terms, in this series of the, we call it uh, Brewer's Conspiracy uh, Project. And uh, this one, we probably have about 20 barrels of all different types of, of beer that we've distilled. Some, the IPAs, I think are absolutely disgusting. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a big IPA hop fan myself, but the, cons the general consensus is that they don't, they don't, uh, they don't age as well. Sorry, what'd you say? Um, it definitely has that like phenolic smoke quality. So that's because the, the like porters they they, they roast use their chocolate malts. malt. Yeah, yeah, the roasted malt. So but it's not peat. It's just the, the actual caramelization of the sugars inside the malted barley itself. So yeah. yeah, like chocolate malt, and then like there's coffee malt. There's different roasting levels to barley. As you dry it, you can control a lot of the in flavor just by how hard and fast you roast it. It has a lot of those same smoky phenolic qualities that you'd see from Pete. So Philip, how much are you guys gonna be making, how much whiskey are you making this year? Yeah. Like what's your current output ability? So right now, um, it's kind of a race because we, 
we launched uh, nationally last year, and I guess we were about eight states right now. So we're trying to produce enough to where two years from now we can take care of the the sales guys that are doing a great job. But uh, we're producing about 11 barrels of whiskey every single day. Um, nine of those are coming from the column still. Two of those are from the pot still. Um, that's running 16 hour day or 16 hour days, five days a week, uh, starting in 2020. In January, we're going to move to... That's, set- why they, that's why you don't get out of Texas. I know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm stuck there. I, some, I live 10 minutes from there, so I'm, I pretty much live there. I call it my local grocery store, because <laughs> I'll go sneak into the... the we're, so we have a restaurant, and we have, on the, on the property, we have a restaurant, we have a cocktail bar, we shake and stir, and other more speed bars, I do draft cocktails. So I, I call it my local grocery store because it's the, literally the closest store to my house. What's the biggest uh, major city um, near the... Uh, trip, so it's closest to Austin. We're about 30, 35 minutes west of there. So but, you fly into Austin, you can get, a, you can get like an Uber oh, out big, there. For sure, a lot, of, a lot of people will Uber, which is a crazy concept to me. But people, people Uber out there all the time. Right on. And but, then... You, uh, if you don't mind me saying, you, you're a pretty young man to be head of distilling. Uh, how old are you, man? Like uh, 20, 28. 28. Yeah, all right, yeah. all right. One of the youngest head distillers in the whiskey business. I'd, be, I'd venture to say you might be the youngest. I, uh, for, I get super hyper-focused on things. Some people will say it's a detriment. Some people will say it's a, a good quality. But I've been with them for six years. I, I started making moonshine in North Carolina, gradu- graduated college and was doing music business stuff and driving through Kentucky, I had in my mind that I knew a moonshiner in, uh, near Asheville, North Carolina. I was like, man, I'm going to call that guy and see if I can work with him. I really didn't care that much about spirits at that point. I was always on the road with bands and I was like starting to realize like, man, I really like drinking this craft beer and this stuff wherever I'm traveling. and. I went and lived uh, for a winter time in Asheville. It was the cold. It was the coldest and most real winter I've ever had. Uh, y'all can't. Y'all can't relate. I know. Y'all have the same problem we have. What but, is uh, this? What is this word you say? Winter. I know. I know. I know. It's a new word. We'll we'll talk is about it later. Winter. What does uh, winter mean? I have no idea. Isn't isn't that, isn't that like a flavor of like? Isn't that a, isn't that like a breath mint? Winter, yes, winter green? I think so. Yeah. I've seen it somewhere. Yeah. But uh, did that for the for a winter and then moved back was just making moonshine at home, just working a bunch of random jobs and quitting, it was great. And then, uh, and then Treaty Oak moved to, or they bought the property, and so I got involved with them, and I've been there for six years, so it's been right a on, bit of a crazy journey. Well, right on, does anyone else have any questions for Philip tonight? Where'd you get the name for the signature flagship bourbon? Ghost Hill, so, that is uh, named after the ranch. So the, the ranch that we're on was originally called Ghost Hill Ranch, uh, just because it was, it was where cattle drives went through to go up to Kansas. It was a meeting ground for Native Americans. So there's just a lot of history on that property. And they tell a story about this guy, Abe. I'm not a marketing guy, so I won't go into it, but they have a haunted story. But I think my theory is that there's this crazy fog that comes over the property because um, we're it's just like it's this slow drop into uh, Barton Creek, and this 
early morning, this fog just comes over, and it's just really creepy feeling. So I, I think that's where they got the name. Because I'm more realistic than some people. <laughs> the thing about, about fog also, too, is that, you know, when you have, like, nearby highways, sometimes the refraction of light can occur. So you'll get a dancing of lights on hillsides sometimes really? as the sun's coming up. And it, it can look like there's apparitions in the in the air over certain hills in yeah. Texas. And the, the acoustics are already are also really crazy. You'll like somebody will be like talking really far away, and you'll just like you'll be really loud. And it's like there's there's been a few moments like late night where I me and some guys working that we're just partying afterwards. We're hearing like little kids like Rob. Rob, it was a little creepy, but I still, I'm still taking my, my fog and uh, acoustics approach. Well, the thing about fog is that uh, water actually exactly. passes sound yeah. better than air, Absolutely. so that's what it's, it's all conductor. about. That's right, that's right. Well, thank you, Philip, for coming. Oh, what was your question, John? You're going to lay down some of this two-year stuff to be like a five, six, eight-year? For or? sure. That's, that's where we're going. Um, so I think we're probably going to settle with around a four-year-old. Um, just seeing how maturation has played out so far. Any B and B, like thinking about bottle and bond stuff. We're, we're, we, we, that's on the mind. We, we we like the what bottle and bond stands for, and I feel like it fits really well with who we are. Um, but we yeah we found that there's this crazy swing. So there's like right around the like one year to one and a half year mark. It's just super tannic and intense and like stripping. And then once you hit about two years, it mellows out a little bit. And I think you're going you're gonna to see it continue to mellow out for the next couple of years, up into maybe five years is my assumption. And then you're going to start to see those tannins come back. We've, we've seen it with the rum as well. The tannins come back and get a lot stronger. So there's, there's definitely these crazy swings and like troughs that you, you want to avoid. And then these great peaks that you want to really capitalize on. So... Well, thank you so much for coming out tonight. Let's give it up for Philip Dorman from Treaty Oak Distillery in Dripping Springs, Texas. Really great stuff, man. Really, really great. So keep us posted, and as you have these new releases come to market, let's launch them right here, at least for the SoCal market. You've got Austin Seven Grand, so we can my call, but I'm down. All right. I like you guys. Well, thank you. Thank you, Pedro. Yeah, of course. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget. Drink to remember. Remember.